0: Because you take things for granted, I think, when you're, when you're doing well, and you take your foot off the pedal sometimes, and you get comf- comfortable. And, um, you know, that's, that's not who I want to be. That's not who I, why I was um, successful and, and what brought me into this country. And, and now I want to sort of, I suppose, go back to my glory days and um, you know, demonstrate my, my sort of talents. And this little break, force break has given me the energy to do that.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Melbourne's culinary landscape has experienced the heaviest impact of the pandemic in Australia. The second lockdown not only put the viability of many establishments in question, but it's had a monumental impact on those who carve out a career in hospitality too. With cases down to single digits and a new roadmap released by the government, What does the future hold for the Victorian hospitality sector? Paul Wilson is the owner of Mr. Wilson Consulting and currently consulting to Morgan Sorrento. Paul, how are you going?
0: G'day, Hooks. Well, you know, considering I've been living under martial law for the last seven months, um, governed by a leader, only loyal to himself, and who's created these draconian policies and opinions which have created an erosion of our freedom here in Melbourne, one of which was formerly the world's most livable city. Um, I'm doing okay, surprisingly. Um, you know, I think moving move to the country was a smart move for me when all this sort of started. And um, I feel for my colleagues in the C- CBD and, and, and the fringes of the city because um, I think that there's more pain to come. I think it's... it's like you said, it's, it's 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 an interesting phase in our industry, with the the latest figures being very very positive. Uh, only five cases today, but unfortunately, the 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 work begins once once we come out of lockdown. You know that's when the the pain really kicks in.
1: There's been a lot of anticipation about these daily briefings and also what the roadmap was going to entail yesterday. How how do you feel about that, given? that there's not really much mentioned in regards to hospitality?
0: Well, it's extraordinary how the government just basically has no empathy for the hospitality industry and, and complete disregard for, you know, the restaurant's contribution to Melbourne's culture and tourism and, and that financial contribution must be significant. Um, and the amount of people it employs, especially in, 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 the, in the in the younger um, community, it's a vital industry. Um so it's been really, really surprising. And we've all become quite sort of, I suppose, incumbent about it. We've sort of absorbed the fact that our, our industry won't change. We'll be the last ones coming out the gate. And we've just used this time to raise awareness of how um, there is so much disregard for our industry as a whole. I think there's been a lot of... I mean, the industry, was, let's be honest, was, was pretty much rooted before the pandemic in in, in Melbourne, it was struggling, there's restaurants closing left, right and centre, restaurateurs being litigated for various reasons to try and make, you know, in their eyes trying to make a living and, you know, it's caused a ripple down the industry with um, many more closures forthcoming and and this pandemic's basically um, given some more hardship but some... I suppose uh, a lifeline because this because of job keeper and because of um you know government support they will linger a little longer and and, and speaking frankly the industry does need a does need a you know a, an overhaul it it needs um a recession of, of sort to sort of get rid of the the sort of the negative operators and and, and this is what's going to happen in the next 2 years I hope re- reluctantly you know
1: you were part of a, a group of uh, very respected business owners in Victoria that sent an open letter to the Premier of Victoria about unlocking the hospitality industry. Can you tell us a bit about that and uh, what you guys would like to see?
0: Well, we're frustrated. We you know we, we 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 were told in, in the first sort of conversation when the initial uh, restrictions were implemented that you know hospitality was one of the industries which wasn't causing outbreaks and it was more meatworks and, and, supermarkets and, and, and other sort of sectors of the industry. Um, and then all of a sudden we, we have the most punitive landscape ahead of us. And then, you know, you go to the supermarket and as one of, one of our members said, it's like a disco, you know, as it's everyone's it's free for all, there's people touching the produce. There's, there's no you know isolation at all. And, and the staff are, a pretty sort of laissez-faire about everything. And, you know, it's really um, quite contradictory to see, you know, supermarkets thriving and other businesses thriving when surely, um, when there's such an erosional freedom, you need hospitality, you need that sanctuary, you need those places to go and, and, and protect your mental health. And, and, and we're the most, um, in my opinion, the most governed industry, in terms of hygiene, in terms of, you know, traceability. And, and so really it, it's just been an ignorant approach to hospitality. We don't know much about it, so we'll just close it down, you know.
1: You've been a consultant to many um, successful operations in uh, Melbourne and you've been um, working with Morgans at Sorrento um, previous to the to pandemic. What's What's been the impact there? And uh, can you tell us about the impact on them and what has affected you as well.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the impact for us since the pandemic is we, you know, we had what we believed was an amazing future um, coming out of a, of a, a sort of a, a, a dire period. Um, I had a restaurant uh, a couple of years ago and I was, you know, fortunately, unfortunately I had to sort of sell my shares and get out of it because of many reasons, but essentially the restaurant wasn't performing as well as I hoped. And it was quite an eye opener. Realizing the the costs and the results of running a restaurant in the twenty first century, um, and so I decided that it was we had to move to, to country Victoria and carve out a, a a sort of niche client base and 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 you know try a different part of the world for our industry and for our business because uh, a lot of people in Melbourne are moving to, to the country. It's, it's a lot closer to the CBD than it ever has been before. And lots of new roads and you, a new sort of Um, opportunities here in country Victoria and Metro Melbourne and um, one of them was a a significant hotel renovation the Sorrento Hotel was sorry the Continental Hotel was being relaunched and that's a massive project and that was essentially three years work for us Um, plus the owner Julian Gurner had a a very busy restaurant on the water it's like um, I suppose Sorrento Stokehouse Morgans and um and we had two other pubs in, in in the area too, which wanted to engage us. So we had about half a million dollars worth of work on 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 the on the table, and that just wiped wiped off the table in a matter of two weeks, three weeks. All the projects fell over. Two hotels decided they weren't going to reopen or renovate due to the restrictions. The the the, the big project changed ownership. Julian couldn't keep um, the project alive, so he had to sell it, and and, and that's. That, that meant we weren't engaged for the, for the new, for the new entity. And so, you know, we now have one client and that's Julian and that's Morgan's. And, um, you know, it's, it's survival mode for, for him and the, and his business and his staff. And he's thankful that we, he's got our resources available and we're thankful to him for the opportunity to sort of relocate and, and move away from the depressing CBD. And, um, you know, Essentially, we've had to start from scratch and um, new, new, new menu direction, um, which was interrupted by the pandemic and bushfires, um, and it gave us a chance to have a breather. After the first lockdown, we sort of had a chance to step back and and assess. You know, was this new concept working? Um, and it was working in terms of you know guest feedback and, and covers and and certainly um, certain efficiencies within the business. But you know. It wasn't profitable enough Uh, these days. Restaurants, you know, they're they're five percent profit at best, but to survive, you know, you need to be hitting fifteen percent, ten to fifteen percent, and you know that's what our client needed uh, because it's a seasonal business. And so, you know, after the first lockdown um, and experimenting with takeaway um, and sort of gourmet meals to go and hampers, um, there's a lot of work for a small team and very little profit, to be honest with you. Um, it's, it's an exercise of mental health, positive mental health. It keeps, keeps, the, keeps people you know, engaged and, and, and enthusiastic about what, what they're doing. But as a commercial venture, it's, it's folly, in my opinion. And um, so we decided to um, rebrand the business after the second lockdown and open with this really sort of fun gastro pub offer, um, a really tight menu, uh, one of the smallest menus I've ever done for a client, especially on the beverage side. It was remarkably uh, effective. Just seeing how tolerant customers are to a smaller beverage offer in terms of wine list and and all the other sort of added on cocktails and, and it, you know. And being in country Victoria, the, the client base is um, you know a lot of blue bloods, a lot of mature, retired, uh, wealthy types. And they're not really interested in trendy, trendy concepts and, and trendy food. They just want something delicious and something uh, with good value and something comforting. So that's right up my alley, to be honest. And so we developed this really good gastro pub offer. And you know, Julie's never been busier. Those those sort of sixty days we were allowed to trade, or so. Um, you know, he was he was thinking this is the best thing ever, and um, why don't we do this all the time? And but he, you know. Sadly, he could, he could justify it because it was a pandemic. He could say, "Look, guys, this is the menu. This is what we can do, and and um, you know, take it or leave it." And um, I think that's 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 taught him, and, to, and I think that's a valuable lesson for the industry: is to create models which work for you coming out of this pandemic. Don't create models to win um, awards and to get yourself in the paper. You know, you have really got to be. Focused and selfish because it's it's survival. We're in a, a, a serious recession, you know. Put the ego aside and, and you know and make some money.
1: What position uh, is Sorrento in at the moment? And do you see that this model that you're talking about that's tighter and uh, works a lot better is that something you think will move into the future with the business?
0: So certainly will uh, for 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 Julian and Sorrento. Sorrento is such a seasonal location it's only um an hour away from the cbd on on a good day with traffic um but its population is about 500 people um and so ports is 500 and sorrento is about 1500 or so so it's a very small base and um most of the people live in the cbd and they've come here at the weekends and um it's extraordinarily busy at the weekends and it's a ghost town for the week and you know, to have that sort of um, tight offering in terms of stock holding and, and and food food management, it, it just makes perfect sense. Um, and, and you know, it also it's the most consistent way of working as well. And I think the industry um, does its best work when it's consistent. So you know, it makes it, it makes so much sense when you think about it. But why are you going to restaurants where the menus as big as you know, War and Peace and there's pages of wines to go through, that makes no sense, but that's what the restaurant industry sort of celebrates. So it's, it's it's a funny one.
1: Regional dining has come a long way in Australia in the last decade, but certainly Victoria, it could be said, is leading the way in regards to regional dining. They've just been allowed to open up again, albeit for not very many numbers. What what sort of impact has this pandemic had on regional dining?
0: Well, I think it's it's crippled them like like the whole industry, but. I do believe they're going to have the, the most buoyant times they've ever experienced in their whole livelihood. Um, we won't see international travellers here in Melbourne for at least another nine months, in my opinion. Um, I can't see any flights before there's a um, some sort of vaccination for this disease. Um, so, you know, where do you go? And um, the borders are still closed, so... You know, buckle up. You're about to be in for the busiest time of your life, and that can be a bad thing as well. You know, that can also sometimes when you you know your market, and it's the same every week, every every month, every year. You're in control. Was when it gets um, it's, it's you know extraordinarily busy, things become um, very inconsistent. So, uh, to, to answer your question, I think it's very positive for regional Victoria and, and country Victoria. I think it's positive. But, you know, uh, be careful what you wish for as well. Um, And where do they get the staff and, you know, and and how do they, um, I suppose, maintain that um, standard is is the challenge now.
1: At the top of the show, you mentioned that um, you had a lot of concern for your colleagues and industry uh, friends in the CBD, with a lot of workers not going back to their offices for still we're still uncertain whether when that will be. You know what? What do you think is going to happen to Melbourne city, city restaurants?
0: Well, I mean, lunch is finished. I mean, lunch was ten dollars, you know, or five dollars. That was the, the the solid number you you the dollars you were chasing for lunch. And if you're a restaurant, that doesn't doesn't stack up, does it? And um, so there's no lunch trade now. Uh, won't be a lunch trade, in my opinion, for a while because everyone works from home. Um, so you have to sort of write that off, and, and that means, um, you know, in, by and large, redundancies and, and staff redundancies, which is, you know, dreadful. Um, and so it becomes almost like an all-day business, I suppose, or, or just dinner-focused, which which can be good. I mean, this sort of opening only when you make a profit is, you know, p- makes perfect sense, but the industry doesn't operate that way. Hospitality restaurants, they open seven days because they pay rent seven days and they have staff on, on, on the on the wage bill so they just operate it's a very old-fashioned way of of looking at it and that's the melbourne way you've you seen in the uk and, and, and america and, and certainly in regional victoria you only open when you can when you can make a profit and um it's like the nightclubs you know they only open when they can make a profit and you know i think restaurants need to do that moving forward and that's the future Um, for a lot of restaurants in the CBD. You know, those sort of four-day weeks, um, three days off, four days on, make a lot of sense financially for for your payroll and probably is the new norm moving forward.
1: Anecdotally, Melbourne's always talked about as being the food capital of Australia and you've had a heavy influence on that over the last couple of decades and you made a real name for yourself with the Botanical all those years ago. How has Melbourne changed... And why do you love the restaurant scene there so much? Oh,
0: it's 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 a curse, isn't it, the restaurant industry? It's you know it's a love affair we all um, can't cure ourselves of, and that's all we know. Um, and personally, you know, coming from London, when it was at its peak in the nineties, it was the most enthusiastic time for creative restaurateurs and, and 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 sort of the rise of the celebrity chef and. So I was sort of fueled up with a lot of enthusiasm and hope and and excitement for a career in Australia. And um, Melbournians were very kind to me, very kind to the British influence. They called us the Brit Pack and gave us a very warm welcome. I think because our food resonated with Victoria's climate, Um, you know, we sort of connected really fast and there's some wonderful chefs come over and, who who not just um, cooks but great trainers and and had a great eye for detail and style and fashion and and you know the whole of Melbourne at that time was very was very hip uh, and British British uh, culture was very hip at that time and um, you know it, it sort of led to um, a really great career and, and and working with really amazing restaurateurs where they took their private wealth and took a leap of faith and invested in our industry um the likes of chris lucas and maurice tazzini and 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 they've you know they've been some of the most creative and prolific operators in in, in melbourne and, and sydney and um you know you work with those characters and those, and those those sort of creative minds and business minds you just it becomes even more affectionate so you, you want to do more you want to contribute more you want to open more restaurants you want to be part of part of this culture and and that was that's been my journey and that's why i've become a a consultant because you know i I can't just do one thing i have this brain and this energy that i want to do more than one thing and it is a curse because it doesn't make sense especially in an industry which is not very profitable but you know it's, it's 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 a labor of love i suppose
1: well, it's a common thing you hear about people in the industry that they they sort of can't sit still. They need the high energy of it. They need to be doing multiple things. But during this time, some have really struggled with being away from the thing that takes up a lot of their energy and their time. How have you personally coped during this period?
0: Well, it's you know I've had um, a lot of personal challenges. Um, at the Same time as the pandemic, my, my my parents have been very sick for the last sort of ten months, twelve months. Uh, we, we were fortunate enough to get over to the UK in December and and visit the visit my parents, who are in their in their sort of late eighties and both in both in private homes and essentially dying, and um, it was awful to see them in such a such a state. Cause you don't go home as often as you like. You go home every three or four years, and the, and the change in them. This time was was really made an impact on me it made me very thoughtful and to, to be quite grateful for my for my years ahead of me and my health and or to protect my health and so I came back from the UK thinking I need to re really energize my my life and and get my career back on track it's been a rough couple of years and I thought you know this is I felt really positive about moving to the country. Then the pandemic kicked in. I was like, it's sort of frozen my ambitions. Um, what do I? What do I do? How am I going to entertain myself? Um, and you know, it's luckily where we are. It's so beautiful, and we're on the coast. It's just you know, long walks. And I bought myself a mountain bike. And you, you know I me, mean, I'm a big fella. Me on a bike is is a sight to behold. Wow. Let me tell you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know like a bison in a bucket, and. Um, <laughs> So that's been very entertaining for the Sorrento locals, let me tell you. But no, but really, it has been very cathartic to sort of go for these long walks in the beautiful part of Victoria to exercise and to sort of do things out of my comfort zone. Um, has made me feel really good. Um, uh, you know, just reducing alcohol and not eating meat and eating seafood because I'm right by the water here. And these subtle changes to my lifestyle have kept me. Sane and, and, and remain this positive outlook. I'm still very positive, um, Anthony, about the future of hospitality and, and my future in particular because I feel terrific. So I think that's really important to people feeling negative at the moment. You, you really gotta, if you want to change your future, you, you know, you really have to make some changes. You know, uh, you can't change the past, but you really can change the future.
1: There's no doubt you made a huge impact on Melbourne's dining landscape but how did you get into the industry back in the UK? Well
0: I was very lucky my neighbor was a a fairly famous chef in terms of his working at a beautiful hotel in St James's called the Stafford in Mayfair which is very popular with the royal family who are just around the corner at Buckingham Palace. So that was my first job at the age of 14 working in a Mayfair Hotel uh, and hotel kitchens of that era was part of the sort of Ritz group, um, so it was very old school. You know, gastronomy, different departments. You had a proper pastry department, a proper butchery, a proper sauce department, a rotisserie department. Grand old kitchens, full of theatre, full of characters. I was the only um, young man who who, who was English, um, who wasn't sort of a raging lunatic from from Greece or Spain or from. Italy, or, you know, so the the language was choice, and the, the the smells, and the excitement, and the the grandeur of all the silver, and the waiters in their outfits, and you know, the luxury hotels in those days were really luxurious, and the attention to detail was insane, and 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 the characters, and and the the the, the sort of leisure activities around a hotel when you weren't working were. That's what I learnt sort of my manhood, I suppose. You know, I had my first drink when I was. Um, in a hotel and, and um, you know m- met my first love of my life you know that's the sort of culture of working in in, in in London hospitality it's very consuming and and very exciting at the same time and through that sort of great introduction because I was um, I suppose so welcomed and I knew the head chef and he looked after me and made sure I was a success um, I got recommended to other hotels and it didn't need, need a CV in those days it just ring up the chef at the Ritz or ring up the chef at the Dorchester, send along your protégé, and you were looked after and you became a success there. And my career went so fast. I I remember starting at the age of 14, then next year I was 27, running Quaglino's, the world's busiest restaurant and the most hippest place in town. Winning many awards and for my sort of endeavours for being so young, Um, no one could believe... I was running this organisation at such a young age, but I've been I've been in the industry for sort of fifteen years. So that's not oh not yeah ten years at that stage. So you know, it's just I suppose I started young and benefit from that youthful experience. And in London, you, you they're great trainers. You, you know, you get a real it's like the army. You know, you get a real drilling, and um, there's no room for error. So you're very very sort of head down bum up, and consistent with your with your work and your career there's no distractions and then for a year I was running this amazing restaurant getting paid well and I was a young man and I was just like this is the best thing in the world like, you know being a chef in London um, it doesn't get any better than this you know and Australia was um, well spoke of because of Quagalinos, had a lot of great Australians working there like John toode and Martin Webb and and a lot of the front house staff were Australian, and these people were very unique and very excited and very outgoing. And you know, English people are quite reserved and quite demure. You meet an Aussie in a restaurant in the kitchen, you know, you know, they stick, they stick out for, <laughs> for for great reasons, you know. And I wanted to be part of that culture. I wanted to see it for myself. I heard so much about Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane and. And are it never disappointed. I mean, it still doesn't disappoint. I mean, Australia is one of the most wonderful places to work and live in the world. Um, we're just you know, in a bit of a stranglehold at the moment, but we're coming out of it, so it's a lot to look forward to, I think.
1: Well, with the numbers coming down, there there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel and you know, the industry will open up again soon. And you said there's still, there's a lot of positivity and you are quite hopeful about the future of the industry. What What's some of the things that then you think need to be put in place for the success of the industry moving forward?
0: Well, what's what's been, I suppose, um, because the politicians, in my opinion, have done so badly here in Victoria, it's, it's highlighted their incompetence or their lack of knowledge about certain industries And that's given us a voice, given us a reason to protest and communicate. And and I think it's people listening. Some of these new grants have been released to the hospitality industry and are are very encouraging and, and certainly give you an opportunity to restart your business. And, you know, I haven't seen that in my lifetime in Australia. So that's a good thing. And I think so people listening and understand that there is challenges in small business and in hospitality if, you know, if there's, if things aren't going right in the economy, then things aren't going right in hospitality. And there has to be support and reforms to protect these vital industries that contribute so much to our culture. And so government needs to look at, you know, fringe benefit tax, that needs to, needs a reform. We need lunch. We need we need customers back in our restaurants spending money. And, you know, that, that, that in turn gets people coming into the city, shopping, you know, doing other things, it just the whole knock-on effect Having a simple lunch in a restaurant, um you know rents they need some need some arb- another arbiter to look at the rents in Australia and the rents particularly in Melbourne are ridiculous, and they should be based on turnover in my opinion, not just you know a fixed rent plus turnover and this would be more more of a retail sort of outlook on rent in my opinion um and there's penalty rates um as much as I, I think everyone should get paid fairly. You know, in some regard, the penalty rates are just not, are in, not in, in sync with our revenue streams and our food costs. Uh, and somehow there needs to be this sort of communication with Fair work and, and the government to sort of expose our numbers. Unfortunately, industry has been quite quite um, remiss at exposing their numbers for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, there's no cash flow anymore. People pay with credit cards, no cash. So you're not protecting your cash flow by being private about your business you need to be more open with, with about your business and and share your challenges and hopefully you, you know you'll see some benefit from that rather than the scrutiny I mean the tax laws in Australia are ridiculous uh, being a UK resident living in Australia and talking to my family and overseas and the tax here is extraordinarily punitive and you know but you, you put up with it because you live so well in terms of, you know, it's safe, it's clean. They're they're the sort of uplifts. But, you know, tax reforms, fringe benefit tax in particular, rent, um, you know, these are the fundamental things. The subtle changes make a big difference to our industry.
1: You mentioned that uh, you've been exercising more and you've changed your diet and it's given you a, a new lease on life and a new focus. Do you think this experience has changed you forever?
0: Oh no doubt. Um, I mean, just being alone—not alone. <laughs> not alone I, my, my wife and I being alone together. Um, we're both quite sort of outgoing people, and who's the boss in our house is <laughs> quite quite amusing question we get asked a lot. Um, to survive, to, su- to survive, um, living with my beautiful wife, who's got an incredible outgoing nature. Um, you know, I've been looking for the off switch for the last seven months, but I haven't found it yet. But no, that's not true. That's a, that's a bad <laughs> joke. But it's, what it's taught me is I'm a very um, – I've become more um, uh, resilient and, and more positive. I think the more stress you have in your life, the more you, you learn to deal with it. Uh, and, and I think that's what this, this whole pandemic has given me is um, this, this kind of st- steely exterior which I think will be with me forever. I think I was, I've always been a big man, but I've, I've always been a bit of a softy. And uh, I think this whole pandemic uh, experience has made me more resilient and, and more positive, more determined. Because um, you take things for granted, I think, when, you, when you're doing well. And you take your foot off the pedal sometimes and you, and you get comf- comfortable. And, um, you know, that's that's not who I want to be. That's not who I, why, I, why I was um successful and, and what brought me to this country and and now I want to sort of i suppose go back to my glory days and um you know, demonstrate my my sort of talents and this little break force break has given me the energy to do that
1: you mentioned earlier how successful a smaller menu can be particularly wine menus in restaurants will this experience um see a new Paul Wilson like what will we see from you in the next year or two do you think
0: if you asked any of my chefs about small menus and Paul Wilson, they would just they would just fall, fall off the chair. You know, the, the two don't go hand in hand. <laughs> um, you know, me and Neil Perry are the sort of the reasons why I think Melbourne's got big menus. Um, it, it's, a, it's a London hangover, you know. You, when you're running big restaurants with doing more than a thousand customers a session, uh, which was Quaglino's, you you have to have a big infrastructure. So I brought that to Melbourne, I suppose, and. It's, it's, a, it's a good question, and working with Morgan's in, in the country of Victoria has really, um, you know, shown me the success of, of a small menu, and the great restauranteurs of Melbourne like Andrew McConnell has always been the sort of trailblazer for a small menu, and I was, I was always the sort of the antichrist to that, and I think that's been my learning, um, looking at, you know, how a small menu and a, and a, and a, and a, and a sort of local talent can become this force um, it's, it's taught me that, you know, small is beautiful uh, and the more control you have, um, the better the, the, the sort of product. And certainly from the back end, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And wine lists, I mean, we're, unfortunately, we're blessed with too much wine here in Australia. And then we have the international wine brackets. I mean, how do you have a small wine list when you've got so much wine, which is so good? And, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that well, that's, that's the that's the new challenge, isn't it? That's sort of, you know, you've got to work work on your business and keep those wine lists refreshed regularly and, um, and have a rolling list. I think that's the excitement of the new normal.
1: Well, Paul, when the industry opens up again and the restaurants are full, how are you going to celebrate?
0: I'll I, I miss tap beer. Isn't it funny? Little things like tap beer has been my sort of hankering. Um, so I'll probably celebrate with a good a good tap beer um and carton draft is is the is the Victorian beer of choice and it's a very simple beer but there's nothing better than a cold carton draft on a hot melbourne summer, summer's day let me tell you so it's probably how i celebrate um and just you know look forward to exciting produce again i mean i really feel for our suppliers and farmers the farmers have taken the biggest hit in my opinion during this pandemic um it's our, our our beautiful farm I say owl, it's not my farm, it, I call it owl because I feel so so close to it, but when I set up Wilson Market, we, we had a small farm grow exclusively for us, a biodynamic farm here in Fingal, not far from where I live now, in, in country Victoria, Mornington, and, um, you know, they grow everything t- to order, so you have, you have a meeting with the farmer, and you basically have to predict how many carrots you're going to use, and how many aubergines you're going to use, and how many bunches of herbs you're going to use, and... And then you have to commit to that every week, and you, you you sign a contract, and you basically go into an agreement with them, and you commit to a purchase. We will spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year with this farm, and um, they. But, but it was a, an investment which was, you know, I would have spent two hundred fifty thousand because the quality and, and how it underpinned our menu and 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 the, and the yield of this extraordinary produce and the taste. Was our, was our competitive edge. You know, that's what brought people to our restaurant. And after they grew grew for us and, you know, Paul being not shy on social media at that time and exposing their talents to everyone in the industry and customers talking about it and the media talking about it, they picked up um, another client, Embla, and then they picked up uh, Heston um, at Crown Casino. So they had, like, three, you know, really great clients, appreciated their endeavours, um really good badge of honor supplying those restaurants and then my situation changed quite quickly as it does in restaurants and i was i was out of there six months later mid mid contract so they basically had all this produce sitting there waiting for me and and they tried to continue in the same vein as as us but they, they they couldn't they couldn't continue the because the numbers weren't there sadly for them and um so they lost that client, and unfortunately, Andrew McConnell's group came in, and, and and so they became a supplier to Andrew's group, which is like five restaurants. It, it, it sort of turned their world on on its head in a way, and they grew even more. So they had, then, then Heston went under, um, and then they picked up, I believe, another client, Bridget Hafner uh, down at Tedesco. They picked her up, so they had like these four or five amazing clients um, growing to order. And then pandemic kicks in. What do you do? You know, you've got fields of produce and you've got agreements which are in the bin and you've committed and done all the work and got, just what do you do? And, uh, they, you know, so everything went to the local IGAs, everything went to farmers markets They for half, for half the price, I might add. So they really suffered and, and, and nearly went broke. Through, through all this sort of hardship, what they wanted to do originally when they first started working with with us was they started as, as, as a farm to grow seed for other farmers. And this is the thing in our industry. We have no seed in Australia, would you believe. Everything we grow is imported. There's only hobby, hobby farmers that have seeds. And, but as an industry, there's no seeds for biodynamic organic food. There's a massive shortage and, and, and this misfortune for transition farmers created an opportunity now They only grow seed for the industry and they won't go back into restaurants. Or maybe they will for a couple of loyal clients. But my conversations with the farmers are they're now focused on seed and they are going crazy. I mean, they are because people are growing their own vegetables at home during the pandemic, people are doing so much, you know. The, the way the, re- the industry is going, they, they want to be have that traceability. It's the most sustainable way of farming, so that's probably for me a really positive story to come out of this whole dilemma for farmers. That we've got another new business, new ent- new enterprise coming our way, providing the seed for for our for our restaurant industry and for you know the community at large to have beautiful organic food available all all the time. Which is a wonderful, wonderful thing.
1: Well, that's extraordinary, and um, it's always extraordinary talking to you, Paul. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, please keep in touch, and hopefully.
0: No, thank you, Hux. Uh, thank you to the media out there and everyone listening. You, you guys, have been an absolute um, renovation. What's the word I'm looking for? An absolute, um, you know. I can't, can't, can't express, I'm going to be emotional here, but how the industry has galvanised together, in particularly the media, how they've supported restaurants and chefs through this pandemic has been extraordinary. And I, and I applaud you, and I, and I applaud you, Anthony. This is such a great metaphor for our industry. We really need um, to be heard or to cry or to celebrate or to be positive. We need, we need a voice, and you've given us a voice during this pandemic, and you, you, you should be applauded, and thank you so much.
1: Well, thanks, Paul. You just made me upset too. Thank you for that. Uh, Always good to chat, mate. Um, Please keep in touch and um, we'll talk again soon. Take care, mate. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram. At Deep in the Weeds podcast, or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.